Thanks to our sponsors, The Genesis Group, First Eyes, and Abbey Media. That's A-B-B-I media.com. They host my website, thecountrywriter.com, where you can send me a message or you can buy one of my books. Special guest on the podcast this go-round is Richard Gibson. Now, if the name Gibson sounds familiar to you, that's because you probably, like me, grew up going to Gibson's Discount Center. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the microphone. Thank you. Glad to be on it. Amazing to talk to someone was not only one of the namesakes of a big chain that was part of my life and a lot of people's life, but what are the origins of Gibson's Discount Center? Where exactly did you start and why? Well, my daddy started it, and he was in the wholesale business. Originally, a company like Colgate would sell to a wholesaler, and a wholesaler would sell to the retailers. Colgate and Procter and & Gamble them decided they would sell directly to the retailers. And Daddy could see that it, he was going to go out of business. So he decided to open up the discount stores. And he did that when I graduated from college. So I got in on the ground floor of it in 1959. This started in Texas? Yes, sir, in Abilene, Texas. He had wholesale locations around the country. And he took the building that the wholesaler was in and just converted it to retail in that little building. Was it Procter & Gamble products that were the first thing your dad sold in the stores? Or did he start out with a pretty big selection? Because when I think of Gibson's, I remember basically everything. There wasn't really anything that we couldn't find that we needed at a Gibson's. Yeah, we, we were selling or he was selling all of the health and beauty aids that the grocery stores carried. So everything in the grocery store from toothpaste to hairspray to shampoo to aspirin sold all of that to the grocery stores. From Abilene to where did you expand? To Lubbock, Texas. The same year. He converted them real quickly. He converted all the stores, but uh, probably in two years. When I left college, I graduated from Abilene Christian. I left my clothes in the dorm, and I drove to Lubbock, Texas, and helped stock the Lubbock store. Then drove back to, to Abilene and picked up my clothes, and then went to Dallas. Well, he converted everything from wholesale to discount stores from 59 to about 61 latest. At what point, Richard, did your father and or the rest of you in the family know that you'd hit a home run with this approach? The opening day of Abilene, immediately, yes. The prices were considerably, I'll give you an example on an item, $10 item, and this is higher than a health and beauty aid, would cost $6. The stores would sell it for 10 and we'd sell it for seven fifty. So you could save 25% on it immediately. It took off and had more customers than we had parking for quite a bit. Now, you've mentioned your dad. Tell us your dad's full name. His name is Herbert Richard Gibson, and my brother's name is Herbert Richard Gibson Jr., and my name is Richard Herbert Gibson. Well, you managed to get all of those names in there just in different orders in, in your case. <laughs> The sign out front, to me, is one of the distinct things that I remember is very 60s look. Who designed your sign at Gibson's Discount Center, where we sell for less? Did I get that right? 
We sell the best for less. We sell the best for less. Who came up with the slogan and the sign design? Well, Danny approved it. Somebody, I guess he looked at several different ones and approved that one, and he came up with the slogan. The concept of selling directly to the retailer, obviously, I don't think it started with your dad, but he was there when that transition was happening. Do you think your dad deserves more credit for this business model than maybe he's gotten? Well, no, I think he got a lot of credit for it because all the manufacturers at the time, we were a force in the southwest and the southeast. He got a lot of credit for it. How many stores did you have at the company's peak? Probably about 625 to 650, but most of them were franchise stores. He had a franchise operation, even the wholesale business, and a lot of relatives and friends were running wholesale in these other markets, and they converted to the discount. He had 40 stores that he owned, and almost 600 of them were franchise stores. Was the operation of the franchise stores any different than the way your dad ran the stores, or were they all pretty much responsible to run the stores in the same way so that you got what you expected no matter what city you were in? Pretty much the same, although everybody had a certain amount of leeway, but it wasn't really highly regulated like you would at McDonald's, uh, you know, it just wasn't highly regulated on that, but everybody was pretty much the same. The one that I remember was on State Line Avenue in Texarkana, which would have been on the Arkansas side, I believe. I grew up as a kid in the 60s. It was a big deal, number one, to get to go to Texarkana. Number two, if we went, we typically went to Gibson's and we went to the A&W Root Beer Stand. <laughs> Nearby was also a Kentucky Fried Chicken that opened. And when you mention the franchises, I remember Colonel Sanders himself actually came to the opening of that particular KFC there, not far from where your Gibson store was located. Did your dad try to do that too? Did he try to go to as many of the openings as he could or did you go no he went to he went to as many as he could and that had to be a lot of miles on the car was he did he become sort of the ambassador for the company because typically if you're the ceo or if you're running a company you have bigger fish to fry than go stand around and cut ribbons and things like that so by that point when he'd become so successful what was his role more than anything he was a buyer he was great at understanding people and he was a great buyer and good negotiator. He liked going to the stores, and even on a Saturday when the office was closed, he would go to a store and sack the merchandise for the customers. Just enjoyed being around it. How long did your dad actually work for the company? Uh, I moved to Longview in 64. I'm a small-town boy. Born and reared in Dallas, but I, I didn't care for the big city. And so I moved here and became a franchisee. And he left the business to my two brothers. And probably, in a, I'm going to say, in the late 60s. But he continued to buy for everybody for another 15 years. And he would set up trade shows. We had four trade shows in Dallas. And he would negotiate with the manufacturers on the prices that we would buy, including, you know, not only staples, but all the seasonal merchandise. He would get prices and we would have a trade show. For instance, he would go to New York with other buyers for the, in February for the toy show. 
And then we would have a toy show maybe in April. And we would buy our toys in April. So he wouldn't have to buy it, but he would negotiate the price. And then each franchisee would come into that trade show and buy their merchandise. Our guest on the John G. Moore podcast is Richard Gibson, a bigwig in the Gibson family. And if you remember Gibson's discount centers, they were all over the South, I guess the Southeast, uh, the Southwest. You said at the Pinnacle, you had 600-something stores. Describe a Gibson's. I know what it reminds me of. It's very similar to some stores that we have today, but how would you best describe them? Very similar to Walmart and Kmart without groceries. We didn't have groceries in them, although I put them in my stores later on and made a grocery department, but it was basically without groceries. And back in those days, you only had one football game on Saturday, one college, one pro game on Sunday on football. You had on the Masters Golf Tournament, three holes televised, maybe an hour and a half. Baseball the same way, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. So there wasn't a lot, and you didn't have the internet. You didn't have cable TV with 500 channels to watch. And the family would just go to Gibson's. It was safer back then. The mother, she'd go to the household items, turn the kids loose in the toy department. The husband would go to the automotive, hardware, and sporting goods. And that was kind of a Saturday or Sunday afternoon entertainment. Yeah, I absolutely remember doing that. We were more hardware than we were soft goods. Although the soft goods had a fair amount of space, but we were big hard good people in hardware, automotive, and sporting goods, and health and beauty aids. What you basically saw in the store is it was laid out according to how the merchandise sold. So Sporting goods. I think if there's one thing that most guys remember Gibson's for, it was... We all went in and we made a beeline for, if we didn't have, you know, we didn't need an alternator or whatever for the car, we went to Sporting Goods. What was it about Gibson's Discount Center that made Sporting Goods so great? I'll tell you what we did on merchandise. We had a huge assortment. Now, you go in some big box stores, you can't buy a screwdriver. You can't buy a lure. You can buy a package of them or a 42-piece set, but we would have a huge assortment, and the local stores had the flexibility to buy whatever the customer wanted, so let's just take fishing. Whatever reels, if it was spinning reels or casting reels, whatever your market wanted, that's what you would load up on. Same thing on lures. If it were flies or if it was the lugger baits, whatever, that's what you carried. So we carried a bigger assortment on hardware, automotive, and sporting goods than our competition did. I'll tell you a little story on something. There's a manufacturer came to Dallas. Daddy had the Dallas Times-Herald, which is out of business now, put his cover on the front page and had him print some copies up. And it was the president of the such-and-such company came to Dallas in business at Gibson Trade Show. And the guy saw that paper and asked Daddy about it. And Daddy said, sure, I'll get you some more copies. And got some more copies for him. And the guy said, what can I do for you? And Daddy said, well, you had a special on your reels. And the stores wanted more than they had. And he said, well, you get whatever the stores want on that deal. It's the same deal. And it was a half a million dollars discount. 
That's why he was such a good buyer and a good negotiator. The changing times, obviously, it, you know, you went from 600 and something stores to not 600 stores. Where was the point the market began to change and what was the cause of the market change? Well, what happened is Walmart and Target and Kmart opened distribution centers and the cost of freight became more expensive. So the manufacturers started raising the minimum shipment and let's say it was 100 pounds and then it went to 200 pounds and then it went to 500 pounds and then it went to 1500 pounds and a store couldn't order 1500 pounds of pencils for instance so we had to open up a distribution center but our stores were too spread out for one distribution center to be able to buy the quantities but that changed everything is when the manufacturers raised the minimums because the cost of shipping became so expensive and when was that in the 70s it started changing it continued and by the early 80s it was a uh, pretty penal to be able to keep a store stocked without a distribution center. By the early 80s, was there a decision made to just wind down the company, or what exactly happened, Richard? Well, my brothers had 40 stores, plus they ran a distribution center in Dallas, which serviced everybody within hundreds of miles, and they decided to shut it down. And they closed their 40 stores and that distribution center. So all the rest of us franchisees, we couldn't buy the quantities in the amount that we needed. It just forced us out of business. So I'm interested in your perspective on things like Amazon, eBay. Do you see that as sort of the same market shift, just in a different way that you guys faced 45 years ago? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it, uh, although there's some things, it's more buying online. First of all, if you're in a big city, it's hard to go to a grocery store and buy and then take it back to your apartment. So you're going to go more online. If you're way out in the country, you're going to go more online. A couple of categories haven't been big online. Home improvement, you're not going to buy a two by four and have it shipped to your house. And mostly groceries are not bought online, and health and beauty aids are not because it costs too much to ship a dollar bottle of shampoo. So, yeah, it's changing the face of America, the shopping patterns, more and more online. What's your favorite customer encounter? And I have to tell you this, after I wrote the column about Gibson's, I have been astounded at the amount of email that I've received from people who just want to share their memories of Gibson's with me simply because it's somebody to talk to, I think. But what's the most remarkable customer story that you've ever had? I ate lunch with a guy who I had never met and lived in Longview all his life. And we were eating with a friend of mine who was a friend of his. And he introduced me and said, you know, with Gibson's. And the guy said, yeah, he said, I remember your store. When you opened your store, advertised lawn chairs for 99 cents each. And he said, I bought four lawn chairs. That was 1966. So his memory's pretty good. If I got four lawn chairs for a buck a piece, I'd probably remember it too. And people have, have mentioned... Those lawn chairs in the 6, not only 66, but in the 70s, 80s, 90s, people would mention the lawn chairs that we ran for 99 cents. What's the one thing you'd like everybody to know and remember about your dad and the Gibson's discount chain? Well, daddy 
was not interested in money himself. And I tell you what, he changed a lot of people's life, made a lot of people wealthy that didn't have a lot of money by franchising at a very cheap rate. He charged hardly anything for the franchise and would help people. I know people that didn't have enough money to open a store and he'd loan them the difference and let them pay them back later. So he, he was more interested in the success of all the franchisees than he was how much money he could personally make. There are four, according to web sources I encountered when I was doing research for my column on Gibson, for Gibsons that are still open. How has that happened? Well, when my brother closed the thing down, he just let anybody, if they wanted, he quit charging a franchise fee. And if somebody wanted to keep open under the same name, they could, which some of them did for a little while, and then they closed. He started getting rid of his in 83, probably by... 84, he was out of it, and some of them didn't close till the latter part of the 80s. And those stores that are open, they're buying, I believe, and I'm not sure of this, from Ace Hardware. And they have their big hardware stores. I've been in a couple of them, and it's like going back in, t- in a time machine. The same fixtures, you know, the same labels, everything inside like it was back in the 60s. So they're they're buying from Ace Hardware now. According to what I found, it's Kerrville and Weatherford in Texas, and then a couple of cities in Kansas. Yes, sir. And I believe there's one more in Texas up here at Lone Star or something. I think there's one there. My column actually runs in the Kerrville Daily Times, and I have had a couple of invitations to come to Kerrville and speak. Now I've decided to take my Gibson's binoculars that I still have, maybe do a little sightseeing in Kerrville and definitely go. Maybe you and I could ride together and go down and have lunch and take a tour of the store. It'd be like Back to the Future Part 3. I'm in. Richard Gibson has been our guest on the podcast, Gibson's Discount Center. I'm sure you remember his family behind it, obviously, and ran it successfully for many years and did a lot of good for a lot of people, including my family. So, Richard, thank you very much for that. Thank you, John.